Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, hope you're doing great on this Wednesday afternoon. We know the storm's coming our direction. We'll have the latest on that as we head through the afternoon, including Brian Nisnansky with us live in the 5 o'clock hour. First, the stories we're tracking today. This is the 3 at 3 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, Sandy, where do we start? Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call says the state's Office of School Safety is in need of funding. Call is warning that the office could run out of money by the end of the year. He's calling on lawmakers to approve a little more than $2 million in funding for the state's Justice Department's Office of School Safety. This office was founded after the Parkland shooting in Florida in 2018. And the office has distributed $100 million in grants for safety enhancements at schools, de-escalation training for teachers, and also established a 24-hour tip line for students and faculty members for Josh Call saying this thing needs funding. Republicans have not yet responded, but uh, hopefully some money gets flowed in that direction. That would What's up be next? Helpful. Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? We have an update to share on the Milwaukee Chamber Theater. This is good news. It is very good news. Uh, you might have heard Brent Hazelton, their artistic director, on with us a couple days ago. Uh, they were looking for funding and... Yeah, a million and a half dollars is what they were looking for. And they had a deadline that they needed to raise the money by this deadline to be able to commit to a full 23-24 season. And guess what? They made it. They raised a little more than $1.5 million, and that ensures that there will be a stable foundation for the theater company for the next three seasons while they try to build up their reserves and come with a longer-term solution. And some philanthropists really stepped up to help with that matching campaign. And if you're wondering how much the arts do have an impact on our economy, this is what Brent had to say. It's a huge revenue driver. I mean, if you think about what you do when you go out for an evening, right, you're going you're gonna to go to dinner beforehand, you're going to pay to park somewhere, you might go have a drink afterwards, you may have a babysitter you have to pay, maybe you, know, you live out in the suburbs and you want to stay downtown, so you're getting a hotel room, that's another meal. I mean, it's a massive, massive driver to the local economy. So, All right. Good stuff. What's the third thing that we're talking about today? International Women's Day is today. I love this day. It's a day set aside to recognize all the incredible women living in and no longer living that have made a real difference in our society. And here's what we're going to do. During the course of the afternoon today, we are going to celebrate incredible, inspiring women we will hear from Peggy Williams-Smith. She's the president and CEO of Visit Milwaukee. She talks about leadership and team building and what it means to be a successful woman in our city. Peggy at 338. Then we will salute incredible women in our own words coming up right after that. Yeah, so many. But we want to touch on some who have made an impact in our world in the past and currently. And then we'll open up the phone lines during the 5 o'clock hour and give you the chance to honor and celebrate the woman that most inspires you in your life. It can be professional, it can be someone you've never met, or it can be someone very, very close to you personally. We'll do that during the 5 o'clock hour. It is 3.14. A new effort underway. Some big hitters in town have come together to try to ensure that the Milwaukee Brewers don't go anywhere, anytime soon. That's straight ahead on WTMJ. All right, here we go. I love this. An effort underway to make sure that the Brewers stay an important, vibrant part of our community. This kind of comes about because they need money to do the improvements and renovations and upgrades at the ballpark, and the governor's proposed it in his budget. But how does this all play out? A statewide coalition has been launched to support the future of the Brewers' ballpark. 
Omar Sheikh is with us. Omar, a respected Milwaukee area restaurateur, developer, and a big Brewers fan. Omar, thank you for being with us in the yeah, studio. Yeah, it's great to be here. Hey, first, you're the guy responsible for this area outside the studio where we're looking into. You're the Third Street Market Hall guy. This is incredible. How's it's it working well. out out here? It's going well. A lot of local support, a lot of conventioners, conventioners, a lot, just a lot of everybody. It, it's a great, diverse crowd, a lot of families. It's been, it's been humbling. That's what I love is that there's stuff for families, there's stuff for little kids, there's stuff for teenagers, and then at night, man, it's a great place for the adults to come down and have dinner, have a drink, just hang out. Yeah, and many, many more options are coming very soon, especially this one right behind your beautiful studio here. Oh, There'll be a Vietnamese restaurant in a couple weeks. Oh, that sounds nice. Yum. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this Home Crew Coalition. Yeah. Man, there are some really, really big hitters that are on this coalition. I mean, an impressive list of people. How did this come about? You know, I've been, I've been a Brewers fan my whole life. I mean, I, I would remember getting getting ready, and my parents would tell me, hey, get dressed, we're going to a Brewers game, and it just was like a family thing to do, right? And so I've carried on to that next generation with my family. Our family loves coming to the games. And so it's just like, you know, when you hear the news and there's a chance if the, the lease isn't renewed beyond 2030, it kind of scares a lot of people, right, in our industry and in Wisconsin in general. So I wanted to put together a coalition, put together some people that have a lot of influence, this is just the start of the coalition. We're going to grow it with other people and members. Um, and uh, we're just here really to advocate and, and really here to be to support and figure out a way that we can keep the brewers here for, for generations to come. Is, are there immediate action steps aside of building it out? Or is it you know sort of a, a slow build and you know communicating and advocating and doing the things that you mentioned? Well, I mean, that's exactly what we're going to do. I mean, we're going to continue to build it out. Um, and then just like a lot of grassroots, right? I mean, we're going to be hitting the pavement and talking to a lot of leaders around the state, um, there's going to be an education component to it, but also really just getting aligned with, you know, everybody everybody at play, including the tourism bodies. And, um, you know, we, we really need to we, – we can't lose the birds. That's just not an option. You mentioned it is scary to you as a business owner. What exactly is it that is scary to you and some of the other members of the Home Crew Coalition? Well, I mean, I can, I can tell you, I have met so many people from around this state because of the brewers. I mean, they travel statewide – they come here for an entire series. They spend the night in the hotels. They spend money in the restaurants, retail, transportation. And I'll take it a step further. I mean, I've met so many people from out of the state. I mean, they draw all across the country. And I think it's since they've been in there in the AmFam field 21 years, I think it, what it is, mm -hmm. they've, I mean, they've generated $2.5 billion of economic impact and direct and indirect spending. And so that's not going to sneeze at, right? I think that that's a good return on your dollar. And and also, you know, I mean, they employ thousands of people here in the local economy. Their their foundation, Brewers Community Foundation, does great work. Hundreds of charities. They've tens of millions of dollars moved through there. They're just a fabric of our community. Omar, what do you say to people? When this proposal came out from the governor, I talked to a, legislature, a legislator in northwest Wisconsin yeah. who said, this money's not going to happen. This is a Milwaukee area thing, and my taxpayers up here don't want the money to go to this. What do you say to those folks who don't live anywhere near Milwaukee? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hear some of that, and you're going to see some of that. I'm not. This is not going to be an easy, easy job, right? I'm, but, but I will tell you that people from all across the state travel here to go to Brewers games, and beyond that, you go to the bars, you go to the restaurants outside of Milwaukee, way up into. There's Brewers games on those TVs and those bars, and there's a lot of people watching those games, and so it has a statewide impact for sure. Um, and when they come here, the game will never be rained out. I love that. If you decide you're going to plan a long weekend in the summer and you're in lacrosse, you can come here knowing that there will be baseball here. 100%. I mean, the roof adds a lot of – it's just a great thing, right? I think hopefully more and more stadiums that are ever built will have a roof on it.
I'm picturing a traveling caravan with Omar and other <laughs> leaders, and Brawny comes back into town, and, and you kind of advocate in these different uh, town places, as John mentioned, you know? The, yeah. It, up in Houghton, where we have a Brewers Radio Network affiliate. Like, they yeah. love their Brewers up there. They may not get to games, but yeah. the importance of the Brewers to the state, I mean, it's it, it really can't be quantified. No, I, 100%. I agree with that. And it's just, listen, I, I look at it as, as my childhood, and there's a lot of people that go um, to games, and it kind of shaped shaped who we are, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, going to those games and that experience, we really looked forward to that. And so we really want this to be accessible for generations to come. And we had somebody in the studio recently whose dad was a member of the Braves, and they moved away when the Brewer, when the Braves moved away. So, I mean, think about how that impacted this city and the scar that it left. If we were to let that happen again, it would be devastating for generations. Uh, catastrophic, for sure. So what do we do? How do we, how do we make sure that this is bipartisan? I mean, because it's going to take both sides of the aisle for any of this to get done. Well, I mean, John, if you cut a check now, I mean, <laughs> we're going to have to go through all the work. I mean, Maybe Greg could know? go in, Santa could pitch in. We could, we could come up with a little something. Said that to a reporter earlier, and they're like, I don't think I'd be here if I could write that check. <laughs> That's a really Fair good point. answer. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly important that this, this has to get done from a bipartisan standpoint, right? And, and, and actually, like, I, I'm just a little more familiar than most, but most things, there's a lot of things that get done from a bipartisan standpoint, a lot more than people think, a lot more than people think. But it's, I think everybody understands from the conversations we've had, and there's going to be many conversations to come, that the Brewers have to stay here in Milwaukee. So I think most people thought when this proposal came out that this will get done, something will get done. Robin Voss, the speaker, even implied, I think he said, we'll, we'll get there. This might not be the fa- final plan, but we'll get there. Yeah. So it seemed like there was this energy that this is going to get done. Did something happen? Did something spark a fear that maybe it wouldn't, that this busy, high-powered group of people is now getting together to fight for this? Fear, spark a fear, not really. But, I mean, just the thought of it, the Brewers not being here after 2030s, yeah, frightening to me. Um, and I know a lot of people feel that way. So we just, listen, we we're, we're just want to be a part of helping in any way that we can to keep the Brewers here for generations. Yeah, because 2030 is not that far away when you really think about it. It's not. I mean, so the time to act... Is now. Is now, absolutely. So you run restaurants in town. You run uh, the beautiful restaurant Carnivore. Now this food hall. With how many vendors are here? 30 vendors? Uh, 15, but growing. We'll have five okay. more than 30 to 45. How days. important are the brewers, the bucks, things like that, that people have to make an appointment for to come into our city? It's everything. It's I mean, it's everything for our industry. And, um, I mean, just last Saturday, if you take a look, there was a Marquette game at 1. <clears throat> And then there was a, well, by the way, like shout out to Marquette. They're just yeah. incredible. <laughs> For real. Um, but also shout out to the Bucks. Look at their, look at their record right now. And they had a seven o'clock game the same day. Downtown was on fire. I mean, there were so many people walking around downtown and everybody was in a great mood. Everybody was wearing Marquette, Bucks. People had a lot of pride in being here in Milwaukee. That's, I feel like we're winning. We're winning when we have that. Omar Shea. 10 years ago, a... people, people didn't have pride in the city. Today, yeah. they have a lot of pride being from Milwaukee. Yeah, well said. You're, you're right. Developer, entrepreneur, restaurateur, Omar Sheikh. Thank you so much for being with us, Omar. We sure appreciate it. Thank you. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. Well, yes. International Women's Day is today. Peggy Williams-Smith is the president and CEO of Visit Milwaukee, and she was with us here in the studio, what was that, a couple weeks ago? Last week. La- yeah, you're Time right. flies when you're having Last fun. week. Yeah, last Wednesday. For WTMJ Conversations 2023, she was here with her husband, Tim Smith. It was a remarkable hour, which, by the way, you can find at WTMJ.com. 
And she spoke about the importance of teamwork and the legacy she hopes to leave as the leader of Visit Milwaukee. Peggy, you were recently named the Milwaukee Business Journal Executive of the Year and the Milwaukee Biz Times named you Community Leader of the Year. Wow. What, what does that recognition mean? I think it's a recognition of my team, to be completely honest with you. I have a fantastic team. I've just spent the last three days locked up in a room with them going over some agency work for some work that we're going to do in the future. And, you know, I am so proud to be able to work with the people that I work with who are so good at what they do that they make me look good. You know, we have one common goal, and that is to make Milwaukee the best to make Milwaukee known as the best place to visit. And every day they come to work and they know that they want to do that. So for me, it's more a reflection on my team than it is on me. One of of the things people adore about you is that you're so humble. It's just, I've heard you other times and read, and it's about the team for you. It is about the team. My husband will tell you that I'm not humble, though. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for him to interject. (laughs) I love that he's letting you shine, or I I shouldn't say letting you, but that he's also proud of you and wants to hear... Yeah. your answers and, and wants to see you grow and shine and i love that we're talking to you this is the first day of march women's history month and you are certainly a woman making an impact in milwaukee what is the legacy that you want to leave as oh. leading visit milwaukee there's so many i mean you know I, milwaukee is such a wonderful underrecognized place to live work visit you know, I, I learned a lot of my love for the city from Tim. I used to watch him in meetings prior to us even being together when we would bring conventions into the city. I was a young junior jet. I didn't start as a director of catering. I started as a wedding planner for, for the Hilton Milwaukee City Center. And I remember back in, in 2000, um, we were going to host the governor's conference on tourism and the crane collapse had just happened. Mm. at the at Miller Park before it was built. And we were in a room with a bunch of city leaders and the opening reception was supposed to be at Miller Park but it couldn't be because the crane had collapsed. So they were looking for alternative options. And me as a junior person and I'm I'm a host, I have the heart of hospitality I'm always like we'll do it. I'll make it work. Mm-hmm. And this guy at the then Midwest Express Center, he's not here so I'm not telling stories out of school. He's like we can't do it. It'll cost you this much money. Nope. Nope. You can't do it. And we walked out of the meeting. He's like, Peggy, if you stay in this business, promise me you'll never be jaded like that guy. That was the worst meeting I've ever, ever had. Of course we will do it. Of course. I mean, it wasn't just about pleasing someone at that point. I mean, we had a tragedy on our hands. And it was so I I got to learn from Tim and his love of the city and his understanding and knowledge. He worked with the Bureau a whole lot more than I ever did. When we were first working to get, when he was working at the at Hilton Milwaukee in sales, so I got to learn a lot through him, and that was really helpful when I took this job. Peggy William Smith is the president and CEO of Visit Milwaukee. All right, here's what we're going to do. Debbie helps get us home. It's traffic and weather up next, and then we salute inspiring women. And later on, you've got the chance to weigh in. It is three forty three at WTMJ. It is International Women's Day, and we are saluting those women, very strong women that we're all familiar with. We're each going to salute a woman here, and I will go first. I want to tell you about retired Colonel Ruby Bradley, an Army nurse who became known as an angel in fatigues by caring for fellow captives while she was a prisoner of war in the Philippines during World War II. 
So on December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor Day, 34-year-old Bradley was already serving in the Philippines as a hospital administrator at Camp John Hay on Luzon Island, 200 miles from Manila. The Army evacuated because the attack at Pearl Harbor happened and the Japanese were attacking other islands. So they were evacuated on December 23rd. She hid in the hills with a doctor in the Philippines. But they surrendered five days later after being betrayed by the couple who had helped to hide them. So she was forced to come out, and she was taken to a POW camp. Once at the camp, Bradley set up a dispensary. She smuggled drugs in, including World War I-era morphine and surgical instruments. She helped deliver babies in the camp, undercover. To help a pregnant woman who went into labor, she once used a tea strainer and gauze to anesthetize her with ether. She was in captivity for 37 months assisted in 230 major operations. In September of 43, she was transferred to another place in Manila where she was until it was liberated. She said those last few months near the end of World War II, she witnessed many, many people dying. They finally liberated the camp. The nurse was there. She had been there, remember, for 37 months. She had been held captivity. And when they brought her out, she was 84 pounds and on the brink of dying herself. She was barely able to make it. She said this, we subsisted with a half cup of rice in the morning and a half cup of rice at night. I could hear children crying in the village. So most days I didn't eat my rice. I gave it to the children because they were hungry. I was a pretty good thief. I would take food and put it in my pockets for the children. After World War II, she stayed in the service and served in Korea, where she helped other people in the Korean War. Combat evacuation nurse. At one point during the war, one little anecdote, thousands of enemy soldiers had overrun American positions where she was. They were loading up people on helicopters to fly them out. They told her, get on the helicopter. She said, there's another guy over there. She went and got the guy, put him on the helicopter, and they had lifted off and were seven feet off the ground when his position got blown up by an enemy shell. She received two bronze stars and the prestigious Florence Nightingale Medal. I just wanted to salute retired Colonel Ruby Bradley on International Women's Day. Selfless service. Yeah. My goodness. Pretty incredible woman. What an impact on so many lives, Mm -hmm. young and old and injured and healthy. Ruth Bradley. Ruby Bradley. Ruby Bradley. Yep. It's one of those, I hate to hear that story and then not, because I'd like to share that later. I'm like, oh no, I forgot her name. So Ruby Bradley, what a beautiful story. Yes. All right, who do you got? I have another woman who made a heck of a legacy um, when you talk about International Women's Month. I happened to be in London in September when... Queen Elizabeth II passed away. Wow. And obviously a world leader had been on the throne 70 years was the big jubilee celebration in the summertime. And I think even when I was there, I wasn't sure if I would feel like, should I even be here? Should I, am I out of place being here since it's not my country? And it was a very welcoming vibe because the Queen of England touched so many people's lives over so many decades. And her legacy, I mean, I reported live from Buckingham Palace for TMJ4. Yeah. I was right up there, flowers stacked up to your shoulders, just droves and droves of people walking quietly up the mall or from the tube station, uh, families together, all ages, all nationalities. I watched a man who probably may have been Indian or Pakistani, like somberly place of a bouquet and then just step back and pause mm. and look like he was praying. So this is a woman who spanned generations. You had grandfathers holding up babies to tuck in 
bouquets and and that this was a moment and this was a woman who should be honored because you talk about selfless service and even if you watch the crown which is not a documentary but you certainly get the vibe that this is a woman who put the country first before her pleasures before her politics that that was her strong sense of civic duty over an entire commonwealth and that she was respected and brought people together and no one's perfect certainly the royalty should be explored and uh, and examined if that's something that goes forward. But she just ruled with such a strong sense of, of duty and sacrifice and uh, had that real filter of a mission statement. And because she became queen in 1952, she was kind of a guide for other women who wanted to have a career and also have a family. That wasn't necessarily what was happening after the war after World right. War II. So her legacy certainly includes the words honor and dignity and selflessness. And it's going to be interesting to see how the monarchy adjusts now that it's back to a man in power. Her sense of duty mm. was remarkable. And I think over the over all those decades, she was participating in 600 different charities and raised over $1.5 billion. Wow. That's amazing. Good stuff. How about you, Greg? I think sometimes you lose track of just how impactful somebody is until you go back and sort of do a little digging on their bio. Uh, it was about a month ago that I was speaking at a, a dinner in Madison, and I was seated next to you and had an hour-long conversation on stage with Jackie Joyner-Kersey. And as I was researching and going back and, and reflecting on her career, my mouth hit the floor at just how incredible she was and what she did for her community in East St. Louis. She continues to have her foundation based out of St. Louis, she did everything at a rec center growing up. She didn't have the opportunities that female athletes have today growing up as a black woman in East St. Louis. It just, you couldn't just be on the basketball team. So everything was done through the rec center. And she obviously had quite a few gifts. But to go from East St. Louis and, and rise above some of the things that she saw on a daily basis, to go to UCLA, star in two sports at a time where you just didn't do that in general as an athlete, her first U.S. championships in track and field was 1980. Her last one was 1996. Wow. You talk about the prime for an Olympic-caliber athlete, you might miss your window if it's yeah. an off year of the Olympics. She had 16 years of peak <laughs> athletic performance, and she was recognized by Sports Illustrated as the greatest female athlete of all time um, at the time of the publication. Born in 1962, she is retired, still gives back to track and field, still gives back to her home area of East St. Louis. She's a mentor uh, to many in the track and field industry, coach and athletes alike. If you don't know the name Jackie Joyner-Kersey, if you don't know just how impactful she's been, do a little digging on it. Just an incredible career, an incredible lady. You spent an hour with her. Is, is she nice? Is she warm? Is she chatty? Or is she shy? What is she like? She was a little bit of everything. Uh, she, it, it was, I, I had to kind of tee her up to, to tell some of the stories of growing up and how did you compete? Did you have outlets as a, a black female athlete to compete the way that white female athletes did or male athletes did? And the answer to all those were, were no. It was, well, I had to go to a rec center. And then I was on a team. And, 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 and that was what we did. It wasn't just part of the school. But to, to hear her talk about her Olympic tenure and how many years she was part of Team USA and the gold medal she won, some of her failures competing at the 96 Olympics with a, a bad leg and going out the way she went out, marrying her coach, just an incredible story of perseverance, rising above, mentorship, leadership, and the face of women's track and field for over a decade.